Rhino, he's not even an issue. I don't sweat Rhino. Are you ready? Yes, it's the Rhino. I just want the paper. I done came down so clean. I'm shining on the haters. Ain't none better than me. Paint wetter than he knows. 400 And out come Rhino. I just want the paper. I done came down so clean. I'm shining on the haters. Ain't none better than me. Paint wetter than he knows. 400 I just want the paper. I done came down so clean. I'm shining on the hater. Ain't none better than me. Paint wetter than he knows. 400 degrees. Rhino! It's Rhino! It's Rhino Wrestling Review back once again, brought to you by our friends at ProWrestling.com. And we have one of those friends from ProWrestling.com here today. His oh. his birth name was Douglas uh, Eleanor Wrestling, but you know him by as Doug E. Wrestling. <laughs> Doug, what's going on, man? The E was supposed to be a secret, Mr. Rhino. I told you that in confidence. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to think of one off the top of my head. It was like either Elizabeth, Eleanor, something like that. But, uh, at least it wasn't like, you know, something really Hispanic. Most people like legitimately in, in uh, you know, as a shoot, I don't have a middle name, but I'm Hispanic. So throughout my life, most people when they try to give me a middle name, it's always like Jose or Juan uh-huh. or something really. <laughs> Jesus, something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> something you know that of course only you know Hispanics name would it would be so. Of course. Uh, well, we are very happy to have you back here. This is your third in the show with a racial joke. That, yeah. that's a good way to yeah. I've told you, we were talking off air. You got to be controversial if you want to get the listeners. You, if you want, to, I, our president has proven that you got to be controversial if you want to get the follows. Yep, that that is true. And uh, if you want to follow me, by the way, follow me on Twitter at Doug E Wrestling. Uh, we do a little show called STF Underground. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at STF Underground, Facebook STF Underground Podcast. Dan, I'm I'm always extremely happy to be on your show. We always laugh a lot because neither of us can take each other seriously, and I feel like we always just try to out troll each other back and mm-hmm. forth, it's, which is good it, because like Will is always the other big troll, so I get to take that spot. Yeah, it's like the sarcasm Olympics when you and I get together. <laughs> it's it's a whole lot of fun, and we get to talk some pro wrestling along the way. And one of the most fun things I like to do is the mailbag episodes because we kind of get to cover a potpourri of everything, a, a hodgepodge of uh, what's going on in pro wrestling from right now. And uh, we'll even have some questions about pro wrestling of the past. And you can always send us those emails, rhinowrestlingreview at gmail.com, or tweet us at rhino underscore wrestling. And Rhino is spelled R-Y-N-O, Doug. I don't know if you knew that. I, you know, I didn't. I, I always pictured you, like, just, you know, in Ace Ventura with, you know, like, <laughs> right, right in there. And it's getting hot in these rhinos. Yeah, Ace Ventura uh, 2, When Nature Calls, I believe. Uh, <laughs> that's a, a great scene that my brothers always, about once a week, they'll send me a gif of uh, Ace Ventura <laughs> You know, being birthed out out of the rhino and the miracle of uh, the miracle of uh, the animal kingdom. It is like the best part of that whole movie. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my one brother says that like the first Ace Ventura is in the Criterion Collection and that it should be like in the Smithsonian for uh, wonderful 
achievements in cinematic. Uh, See, I think two is better. I like two better than number one. Interesting. Inter- That's you, your hot take. Hot you, take. Oh, hold on a second. I got that. Hot take. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, usually the sequel is uh, inferior to the, the first one, but uh, you're kind of doing some breaking news here and telling us that uh, Ace Ventura 2 is better than Ace Ventura 1. You know, it's just what I think, and what I think is always fact, so... Yeah, you know. well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. There you go. <laughs> Let's get in some emails, Doug. Are you ready? Yeah, you know, my, my only shame for being on the show is that the voice of reason on your show, Jason Calzabetta, couldn't be with us, oh so... Oh, my God. I'm, I'm <laughs> cutting that and cutting that part out. Jason Calcibetta has never been the voice of reason in any situation, much you less know, when it comes to professional wrestling. I've been listening every single week, man, and I feel like he's got some not hot takes. He's got some good takes, and I feel like uh, he's also smart for watching Impact Wrestling. I think you need to listen to my friend Michael Jordan. Stop it. Get some help. Steve in Baltimore writes, did WWE pair Bobby Lashley up with MVP in order to phase out Lana? I feel like it's helped Lashley's character tremendously. So if you've been following what's been going on on Raw lately, MVP seems to have taken Bobby Lashley under his wing. And uh, it's even done some tag matches with him, but seems to be really kind of mentoring Bobby Lashley. And Bobby Lashley looks to be the next big title contender for Drew McIntyre. So what are your thoughts, Doug? Do you think that this is a way of them trying to phase out Lana? We know that her real-life husband, Rusev, was released in the cuts that came associated with COVID-19. Yeah, he's got a YouTube channel now. It's called, like, uh, Miro or something like that. Mm-hmm. and uh, It's been pretty entertaining so far. But to answer the question, I don't know if phasing out is the right word as much as just maybe separating the two. Uh, because I think that they do see big money in Lana. They've continued using her, whether it's in the dumbest storylines ever or, you know, alongside Rusev or whatever it might have been. And I do like the storyline with Lashley and MVP together. So if they do go their separate ways, fine. My my, my question for you is when that happens, because I feel like they're they're going through this, this separation and clearly it's really MVP versus Lana. Who's the heel in this situation? Lashley and MVP are heels. Lana is a massive heel. So, you know, or maybe who's the babyface in this situation would be a better question. Yeah, it's really tough because maybe they're trying to make it where Lana will come out of this on the other end as a babyface. People will feel she'll get some sympathy and maybe they'll kind of try to do something with her that way. But Lana has never really come off as a babyface-ish character at any of her time in, in WWE. It always, you know, I thought she did her best work when she was, when Rusev first came out and she was doing most of the talking for him with the, the heavy Russian accent. And you see that her accent has kind of kind of done the gone the Kofi Kingston route where it's she's kind of <laughs> lost it over the last yep. couple of years. She's been in, in the country for long enough. She's she's learned to mold her accent to an American accent. That's what the people all want, right? Yeah, I guess so. But I, you know, I've kind of, <laughs> I've kind of been digging the, the Lashley MVP thing lately, and, you know, I kind of had lost a lot of faith, in, faith in Lashley after, over the, uh, 
you know, last year or so, he had just kind of been just spinning his wheels, and the Leo Rush thing didn't really do much for him. But, but I think MVP has has really gelled well with Lashley, and I'm kind of curious to see how this could go. Uh, looks like he, Lashley's going to be up with next with Drew McIntyre, and Lashley is also constantly dropping hints about how he wants that Brock Lesnar match at some point or another. But, you know, I guess, I, I don't know, man. I, I just kind of just thought that maybe when Rusev left, that maybe Lana would be next. But maybe they want to keep her around. They have always, you know, kind of felt that she, like you said, that she was potential money. So uh, I'm really confused by what their plans are with her. I mean, she did wrestle for a little bit of time, as we know. Uh, and they kind of dipped their toe in that. But it was very short-lived. So they seem to really like her as a manager role, but if she's not managing Lashley, which I think was just a mistake to put them together in the uh-huh. first place, but if she's not managing him, then who? And maybe that will turn into like a, oh, well, now I'm with this guy against you. I just don't know who she would really fit in on that Raw roster. Mojo Rawley? Why, why do we have Mojo Rawley? Hey, man. Why? Just I, why? I think he is one of the talents on the WWE roster right now. Jesus. Hot take! <laughs> uh, RJ in Washington, D.C. writes, In your opinion, in WWE, who of the newer breed has the best and worst entrance themes? So I'm guessing we have to kind of stay away from, you know, like the Ortons and the Edges, and uh, according to the email here. If we're talking about the newer breed, maybe we'll talk about some of the themes that have come out over the last three to five years who stands out either good or bad as far as wwe entrance themes goes so i'm gonna stick away from nxt on there because the question specifically said wwe we're talking raw and smackdown most likely and it it actually took me a lot of time to find a worst theme Uh, there weren't many that i really don't like nowadays um, if I had to name one, I'd probably go for the worst theme award would probably be Bailey. Her theme is kind of odd. I mean, I understand it's kind of this heel, you know, this heel song for her, but I don't know. I, I don't think Bailey as a heel is worth for me overall. So I, I think that that just gives a little bit more for me that uh, I don't like that that song. Um, as far as best, I probably have, you know, one and one A. Um, the one being Aleister Black, mm-hmm. you know, love yep. that song. And one A, even though I know that you love him a lot, and, and but a lot of people aren't fans of him, Baron Corbin's song yep. is awesome. I had him on my list too, and I had a, a I drew a frustrated face right next to it <laughs> because I hate giving because you Baron, want him to be higher in the card. I hate giving Baron Corbin any kind of of positive energy. But man, his his song is is really good, and it it doubly pissed me off because it would have like this these like flames and like this like wolf on the Titantron, and then this badass music hits, and then this dude came out looking like he just parked my car, you know. <laughs> I it, that's what really that's what really got me when he was coming out in like uh, the, uh, the waiter's outfit. <laughs> like, oh man, this guy's badass. Who is this? Is this his manager that just came out? Is this the guy? Is this the valet that just parked my car? That's what it no way, really. It's totally fitting of Corbin. Corbin is far and above one of the best heels on either roster right now. You 
hate him either way. And I think he's only getting better. He's, you know, Corbin has got a pretty high ceiling, if you ask me. Well, you know, I this this has been the Rhino Wrestling Review. This will be the last <laughs> Rhino Wrestling Review that Doug E Wrestling will ever appear on. Woo! Thanks we for, did it. Thanks for downloading, listening, and subscribing and spreading the word. Don't, Damn! don't kick out of each other's finishers. <laughs> <laughs> Boo! Oh, Will Lewis joining the show here. I thought I thought we were going non Will Lewis during this. We're trying. They're not trying to get that crazy. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, for good, <laughs> I had I had Alistair Black on my list too. I had Corbin on my list. I really like Asuka's theme. I don't I don't know what is being said in the theme you know it sounds like folly wally lights in the day something like that i can't i have no idea what what it's saying but it's it's really catchy and it you know you know exactly who it is when she comes out uh i i got i know we're not talking about nxt stuff but man undisputed era theme is just like my favorite the the themes on nxt just blow away everything Mm -hmm. right now like Undisputed Eras is awesome. Gargano's old one is awesome. Champa's is awesome. There's there's just so many really really good ones that are out there and NXT that, yeah. I mean Io Shirai's is mm-hmm. so fun too. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna throw another one out that I really enjoy that I think really works with the character and that's Drew McIntyre. I like the bagpipes. I liked how it you know kind of picks up the energy picks up. And I think it really works well for either a heel or a babyface, Drew. I think he's made the the transition pretty well using the same theme. A lot of times, you know, like you said with Bailey, they have to. Well, she's a bad guy now. We got to give her uh, heel music number six on the on the pull down menu. But with Drew, I think it it really works. You know exactly who it is when he when he comes out. Uh, a couple of the ones that that really don't work for me. We talked about Lashley in the first email. His, it it takes you until you don't know it's Lashley until you see Bobby Lashley come out. It's just you know generic. I can't even think of a song. You know, it's, it's like it's, it's just nothing. It's you know? just generic. Um, you know, dum 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 dum. It's just you know generic stomping. You know, monster stomp stomping music. Uh, Umberto Carrillo's music doesn't seem like it really fits him for some reason. I don't know, like it, like it doesn't fit, like it's, it's got, it's got the flair to it, it's got like the Latin flair to it, but it doesn't seem like it fits his character for some reason, there's just something that doesn't connect with, with me there. What do you mean? He's Hispanic, it's always gotta have, they all have to have that, you know? See, I thought that maybe as a white man, I, I wasn't understanding (laughs) that, so I had to get my Hispanic friend on the show. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like Alberto Del Rio. It's you know the same way that all the Asian people mm-hmm. like they think they have to have the whole like right whatever that whatever that sound is like like the Japanese anime uh, yeah sound of yeah yeah, yeah. I know exactly although what you're Shinsuke's saying. old theme was one of my favorites mm-hmm. yep exactly uh, and have you heard do you know Cesaro's new new theme it's um, like the most generic. Thing that that I've heard, and I loved Cesaro's music, like when he first came in, first came no, up from wee, NXT. Wee. No, 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 that's Scott Steiner. <laughs> that, that makes me think Scott Steiner's coming out. Uh, I I don't I don't like anything that starts with like uh, like when Dean Ambrose was starting with like the the air uh, the air raid siren, 
and then it goes right into just like a generic motor. Oh, I'm a badass because I got a motorcycle sound. You know, it, I hate just like that generic stuff. And Cesaro's is so generic right now. It just it really is not doing him any favors. And then Tamina, when Tamina was getting a push recently, and we actually had to see her enter the ring. What the hell is that? Like, you need to go go on YouTube and listen to Tamina's music. It is the weirdest thing ever. And then, and I didn't even have this written down, but now that I think of Tamina, I think of Nia Jax. I hate Nia Jax's music. I'm not a monster. <laughs> what do you mean? Her, hers is awesome. And it sounds no. like babyface music, and it, she's not a babyface. It, it doesn't For- work. For the longest time when I was listening to it, I thought it was really mean because I thought they said, I'm not a monster. (laughs) (laughs) And I was thinking, like, wow, that's, like, really hardcore to say just because she's, like, a big gal. Yeah, you you must think I'm a monster, but I'm not underneath (laughs) it all. I'm really not like most girls. I will say in wrestling... Um, the one that probably gets me the biggest pop right now is Cody's theme. I think that oh, his man. theme is just incredible, and the words are like spot on. Mm-hmm. Like even though Jericho's is awesome, Jericho's is just Jericho's because it's his song. Yep. It's nothing in the song that like is about wrestling or anything mm-hmm. like that. But Cody's theme, the entire song is just perfectly written. Downstate, by the way, they do a lot of really good wrestling theme songs. Yeah, man, it's been AEW. I thought I actually was just talking about that when we were watching the show the other day with uh, Jason and Will. Is that they've done a really good job with with the the entrance themes. I would say ninety percent of them really help you identify with the character. Like Darby Allen's, I think, really works well for his character. Um, I think that MJF's. Is is works really well for his character and his. Uh, He's know, had that one for a long time though. For like. I'm like. I, I do love his. As soon as I hear that, I'm like, oh, you asshole. Yeah, he's like, uh, oh, you're such a. Oh, douche. I just want to punch you straight in the nuts, <laughs> you piece of shit. And that's exactly and that's exactly what you want. It just works perfectly. So I think they've been doing a really good job with uh, the music. I, I don't know who they. If they have just one person that they brought in, like they like Jim Johnson used to be the WWE guy, or if they're He's, just kind of Jim Johnson's in, in AEW. Is he really? Yeah, well, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. But uh, of there sense. there are some that I'm just like, why did they decide that? You know, like the Lucha Brothers, like they could have gone something better than Lucha Bros <laughs> Mexican. Like, come on. Like, no, give see, me something better. As a give white, me a, give me a Spanish theme. Like as a, a white right man, that helps me. I'm like, oh. These guys are Mexican. Now I know. Everything you need to know in the first five See, seconds. <laughs> at, I, and just like uh, when you go to a wedding, and we have all the dances for that are geared toward uh, the paler persuasion, where they tell you exactly what to do. I like to be told exactly what to do. You know, hop this time. Right foot stomp. Left foot stomp. <laughs> hands on your knees. See, I like that. It helps the white person who may be lacking in uh in the dancing arts uh you the one to be that able gets to up participate. and says this is my song when you hear like that's the one you get down to uh i will get down to it but i do not claim that as my song but i will uh participate especially by the time they play the chicken dance at that point in the evening i have uh probably four or five whiskeys in uh if it's an open bar if it's uh 
if you got to pay for your drinks, then uh, I'm probably not uh, inebriated enough to uh, participate in those dances. <laughs> Did you have an open bar at your wedding, Doug? We had a mildly open bar. It was open bar until a certain time. Yeah, we and had... And after that, it was like, you know, go buy your own stuff. Yeah, we had we kind don't of want the same thing. <laughs> we, had, we had free beer and wine. And I'm like, hey, man, if you if you want anything more than that, you know, bring it yourself. But uh, Pretty much. Uh, next one comes from Out of Nowhere, who writes, I feel like AEW is making a mistake with their world title booking. What is the point of bringing in a fresh character, pushing them straight into a world title shot, and having the champ beat them? Brody, ne- Brody Lee now looks like a weak leader of a weak faction, and the same thing could happen to Brian Cage in the near future. So uh, Brody Lee came in, got pretty pretty quickly hot-shotted into a, the title picture with John Moxley, and then passed out to the sleeper hold at the, the Double or Nothing pay-per-view. And then on that same pay-per-view, it looks like Brian Cage could be the next man up for John Moxley's uh, AEW title as he grabbed that enormous poker chip uh, after almost murdering Darby Allen in the process. But he grabbed the big poker chip, Doug, and now he can apparently cash that in for a future world title shot. Uh, it looks Sometime like it's... Sometime this summer at Fighter Yeah, that's what, that's what they keep saying. Uh, it's going to be at Fighter Fest. We don't know when. Sometime this summer. Uh, it's going to be at an undisclosed location. A.K.A. Daly's Place. Uh, I love how they said they said that about Double or Nothing, and then just the Daly's Place light lighting was so bright in the background of every shot that they took. I think this one's different, honestly, and and, and I say that we talked about this on uh, this last week's episode of STF Underground, um, available on all podcast platforms and ProWrestling.com. That I think that the the reason that they're doing that is specifically because they're trying to see what they're allowed to do as far as the fans and arenas and what they could book, the size of the venue that they could book. So if they stall enough until mid-June, I I can only assume that Fighter Fest is going to be sometime in July. Hey, maybe we're talking mid-June, we announce an actual date, get these things on sale right away, allow 500 people into the venue. I would have it on that island that Fire Fest was supposed to be on. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I would guess it would kind of fit, right? I would have that, and I would, uh, you know, however many fans you're allowed to have, I would let them, you know, come to the island. I would get them there. I would let them stay in those, uh, uh, what are the the, uh, the tents that they uh, use for, like, disaster release, <laughs> disaster relief tents. Uh, and I would feed them all bologna sandwiches with mustard and let them watch some good pro wrestling. That's what I would do. You know, re- regarding your question... I feel like Brody Lee looked anything but weak, and I feel like he came up as a monster. So to say that he's a weak leader of a weak faction, I think that that's just not true. And I think that it actually helps the uh, Dark Order look even stronger. Um, I, I And I think that he was taken out the exact way that a monster should be taken out. Now, Dan, you said something that I completely agree with, though, is that he was hot-shotted to that position. I feel like... I wish that all of that same sequence just happened six months from now, mm-hmm. because I feel like Brody could have been a longer term monster to make him even scarier, yeah. have him been undefeated, that kind of thing. Especially if they're going to defeat Lance Archer, you know, two monsters got defeated at Double or Nothing. Yeah. Um, I think that they could have held off on one of them, made one of them look scarier. But as far as Brian Cage goes, I really don't know where they go from here. You have to consider that they might have a schmaz finish. Um, 
or you know maybe maybe they give it to, to Brian Cage. Brian Cage is a good contender. It looks like they really believe in him. Giving him Taz, I think, is a, is a really great call. I think that you know the the survive if he lets you. Plus, Brian Cage, if you've, you've ever seen him in the ring, he's damn good. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I don't think that that'd be a bad call. Um, it'd be very interesting to see where that goes. Yeah, my only concern with with Brian Cage, and I really you know love the stuff that I saw with him in Impact, and then you know it that kind of made me go back and say, well, you got to watch some of the stuff that he did in Lucha Underground. The only thing that worries me about him is that he's been a little bit little injury prone over the last couple of years. It it seemed like he had his his quad taped up for like about a year and a half it seemed like and he was still going out there and doing crazy shit and wrestling but i think that kind of hurt his title run with with impact is that he didn't defend it for several months before he had that awesome match with uh, michael elgin you know just further proving how good brian cage is in the ring and i think putting him with taz is a great thing because i don't i think the promos of of cage like he didn't talk for like the first you know six months he was in impact you know, didn't didn't say a word, just went out there and kicked people's ass. And I think his promo work has never been his strong suit. So I think kind of filling that hole with Taz is, is a great thing. Uh, but putting him in there, you know, right with with um, I almost called him De- I almost called him Dean Ambrose. Damn it! Uh, putting him, <laughs> putting him right in there with Moxley. I don't know, man. I kind of wish he would. They would build him up uh, against you know some other. Uh, contenders and then kind of work his way up to that kind of work his way up the rating rankings uh, maybe even take that uh, TNT title for for a small bit I don't know kind of putting him right in the world world uh, title mix could be a little risky uh, given this uh, not only his propensity for for being injured but also the fact that like you said, they kind of did the same thing with with not only Brody Lee but kind of with Lance Archer. They put Lance Archer in a a title match too and had him lose. Would you really want that to happen with with Brian Cage? Have him come in and have his first big match be a loss? I don't know if it really hurts him or not. I guess it remains to be seen. To AEW's credit, I will say this: this is the second real contender to Moxley where you don't really know who's going to win. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that AE, that WWE does quite a bit is that they have the obvious picks. Like, no one believes, even though the Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre are going against each other, nobody believes that Bobby Lashley is going to beat Drew McIntyre. Right. In this case, I think that, you know, just like I didn't know if Brody Lee was going to beat Moxley, I don't know if Brian Cage is going to beat Moxley. So maybe they're trying to have actual on-pay-per-views Real contenders, people who we can believe that this is a time that that we might really see a title change, and it wouldn't surprise me if it happened. Yeah, and I th- I didn't even think about that. It makes a lot of sense because for a while there, Jericho was having matches, and it was cool. They were cool matches to see, but you knew that the person that he was fighting had no chance of beating him. Like when he took on Darby Allen for the title, or Scorpio Sky. or Scorpio Sky. Those are cool matches to see and it's cool to see these uh guys not just getting matches with jericho in like a non-title capacity but getting legitimate shots at the world title is really cool to see but did you really believe that either one of those you know were going to go the way of the challenger like no one thought that jake hager was going to take it from moxley right 
you know, that just doesn't make sense. But on a pay-per-view, like all of these that you're mentioning are on on free TV, mm-hmm. but on a pay-per-view, have somebody that's a legit contender. Now you don't have to have somebody like WWE does is, you know, get somebody there and then it just kills their push right away. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah, WWE tends to just, let's just get through this pay-per-view, let's get somebody on there, and then we'll just kind of put them to the back of the line and never see them again. Especially because their roster's so deep, they can hide if they want to hide you they can hide you you know really easily it's a little harder to do that with aew and i think it's gonna help it even more now that they got that secondary title that maybe you don't have to have a guy come in and push them right for that world title you can have them come in and go after uh one of your other big baby faces in cody and go after that tnt title so I hope things. I think it's an awesome signing. I thought I popped big when Brian Cage came out as the surprise entrant in that uh, casino ladder match. I think that it's going to be a, a very positive thing for both him and the company. I just hope that they don't get in the habit of hot shotting new guys in and then having them be beaten for the world title. It was very interesting the way that he debuted because most times as a surprise at the end of a ladder match like that, you expect that to be a babyface pop, not necessarily as much of a heel pop. But the way that the, he is right now and booked with Taz, who is a liked character, I understand that the things that Taz said weren't so nice. These these were more like the ass kicker kind of things. And maybe they're trying to give some shades of gray, but when you have him against Moxley... You have to think the the heel face dynamic there, and this one is not so clear to me the way that they're going with it. I will say that I do not like the way Brian Cage's music starts with the "Who can stop the path of Cage?" I hate that. I Get hate rid it. of it, please. It's awful. Uh, Jerry Lawler's Puppy Power Hour writes. I know Dan is going to disagree, but the skits with the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits have been the best thing on Raw for the last month. Changed my mind. Um, I'm going to let you go first here, Doug, because I'm just like feeling my blood pressure rise up a little bit, and I need to do some relaxation techniques to kind of get it back down. What has been your thoughts on the, and I know you said you have not watched the uh, bowling one, the most recent one. But you have seen the uh, previous Street Profits, Viking Raiders, pre-taped interactions, anything you can do, I can do better. Have you been enjoying them? Have you been, is that like fast-forward fodder for you? Uh, What are your thoughts on those? That's probably really hard to say three times fast. fast, Fast-forward fodder. That's what I do to uh, (laughs) warm up. That's that's one of some of my vocal exercises I do. That's a good call. Um. So I'm going to tell you something that I think that you might find shocking. Uh-oh. And that's that I think that these segments are crazy entertaining. I think that they are very, very fun. I, I do laugh out loud funny when I do see them. But I hate that it's the Viking Raiders in that position. If it was anybody else in that position, I think that it would be funny because this is where the Street Profits should be. And... Uh, but I, do, I don't think that it's where the Viking Raiders should be. And I actually miss where the Viking Raiders used to be, which is killers. You know, I feel like now they're going to go down as a comedy act. And, you know, it could be great for their personalities and, and their screen, you know, like their screen personalities. But um, 
afraid that it's going to go the way of Brizango. It's, I'm afraid that it's going to go the way of the Ascension. And that WWE is going to take away the identity of what made them great and what really brought them to the show, which was, you know, the War Machine Killers on the Indies and in NXT. Okay. So, I uh, I hate you right now. Uh, <laughs> we are no longer friends. Uh, you're going to have to do something to before? earn my friendship back. I thought we were. <laughs> uh, maybe we were. But... I think that these skits are cringeworthy. I think they are repetitive. I think they are, just like everything else on Raw or SmackDown, they could be filled in like a Mad Libs uh, type multiple choice in order to, to write them. Um, I don't. I don't even think that they're edited very well. In the fact that, and it's and it's little things, but like. When somebody is rolling a ball and it's obviously going in one direction and then it all of a sudden comes back, you know, when you go to the close shot and it comes and it's doing a totally different thing. Or somebody. I think it's supposed to be that way, though. It's supposed to be goofy. I don't know, Doug. I don't know. They could you know, say that. You're, getting, you're on the payroll, aren't you? Well, so be here's honest. the thing. If you listen to my show... I constantly will tell people that I'm not that big of a fan of slapstick funny or too goofy, that kind of thing. I think this is just the right side of goofy, and I think that it's cons- also consistent with the characters of the Street Profits. And I think that I give it a little bit of a pass, too, because it's consistent with what I see on Raw, where Raw hasn't really been a wrestling show for many years. I feel like it's been a variety hour. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the talk show, you see the... The song and dance, you see this little comedy skit, and then in between that is the backdrop of wrestling. So I think that that's where that kind of fits for me. But once again, I think that it my big problem is just my issue that it's the Viking Raiders doing this. Because, I mean, this, this is exactly what you'd expect from Street Profits, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. consider them an NXT. Most people like them in NXT. They were dancing around the crowd and having drinks with everybody, and that's literally... You know, their silliness is infectious, and that's kind of what they're bringing to the table now. Right, and kind of the New Day uh, aura, too, is that they're silly and entertaining, but when it's go time, they can go in the ring. You know, I think that's what kind of separates the New Day from the other comedy, quote-unquote, comedy acts in wrestling, is the fact that these guys can, can all go out there and they, they could go. Um Doug is trying to make me laugh right now, but I'm not going to break. Um, and I'm not comparing them to the New Day just because they're both African American. <laughs> it's just like uh, when, uh, like, uh, was it uh, MVP and Bobby Lashley were backstage, and they and then they ran into the Street Profits, and then you know pe- people were like, "Are they going to form a new faction?" I was like, "Why would they form a new faction just because they're all African American?" I don't know. We are the nation. Domination. I did love the Nation of Domination. I, and Me I, too. And I really loved it when like Owen Hart was in there for no reason. <laughs> you know that this is the time after we've been clamoring for a, a reintroduction of them for the last like fifteen years. That this is the time that Vince is going to bring them back. Yeah, yeah. When when there's so much social unrest in, in the world, <laughs> uh, God damn, it's the time now. That's what the people want. But kind of to your point about the the Viking Raiders. 
given what they were before they came to WWE, and even even given what they were in NXT, and even given what they were when they first came up to the roster, when they the were just... The Viking experience. Well, they, they were... At the beginning, though, they were still killing everybody. And then the Viking experience thing happened. And then they kind of tried, okay, we'll meet you halfway, and we'll call them... And we can't call them the War Raiders, we'll call them the Viking Raiders. But now, I think... We know we're just... The show is just being written for, for one person. There's a guy in his mid-70s whose initials are VKM. And we know that what makes him laugh. And we're seeing that on SmackDown with Otis. Oh, take his shirt off. Make him dance. Make him do a cartwheel. Goddamn. You know, make, you know, uh, gristle uh, go down his chin. Because, you know, laughing at fat people is funny, according to Vince McMahon. And it, it always has been funny. And... Ivar is—they're turning him into just, into just Otis with a longer beard. You know, they're making fun of his his weight and the fact that every time he, uh, you know, goes in, you know, reaches down into the golf hole to get his golf ball, he per- pulls out a turkey leg because he's fat and he loves because eating. Watching fat people eat is funny. Okay? That's exactly what I'm saying. It's they're they're it's a joke and I, I don't I, I don't find it funny but one person does and that's why everything is being written for that audience of one it's not being written for what what the fans want you know despite what they said we're gonna listen to the fans oh, we're gonna on, give you on. what they audience want of, audience of one haven't you seen all the you know audience members now on raw just cheering at everything that you know they want and booing at everything that they want to i took a screenshot the other day of uh robert strauss aka robbie e and i felt so bad for him he was just out there wearing like an an edge t-shirt and just trying to feign interest in what was going on in the ring and i'm just like Man, that's not what you signed up for. You might as well just go back to Impact and do the, you know, when he was doing the velvet rope thing with Rob Terry. I thought that shit was great. <laughs> and now and now look what he's doing. And you know they're telling them how to react yep. to every single segment. Exactly. You know? That's what I like about when AEW has the wrestlers out there. You know Tony Khan is just trying to kind of telling them to go out and have fun. And just so, react. Right. And some of them kind of work out their own little thing with each other, like, you know, Sean Spears and MJF are going to be like, you know, betting on the the matches and stuff like that, and the Gun Club's going to wear, you know, silly outfits, and you know, Britt Brit Baker's going to hit somebody with her shoe. But I think, you know, it's just it just seems more of a natural, fun environment. You know, like you were like going to like your buddy's, you know, uh, you know, YMCA basketball game or something. And you just happened to like have a couple beers in the parking lot before you went in there and and cheered them on. That just seems like a more you know loose, open environment. Whereas the WWE seems so sterile to the point. It might be the bad choice of words given the pandemic that we're in right now. But the environment is so sterile that they have hockey plexiglass up. You know, it's just so odd to me. So strange. Uh, anything else uh, you want to say about uh, your boys, uh, the war, the uh, Viking Raiders? Send them back to NXT. Yep. Uh, Chef Boyardee's nuts, Doug. Friend of the show, Chef Boyardee's nuts. He's nuts. Uh, there writes. There has been a positive about Rob Gronkowski holding the 24/7 belt, and that is the fact that we don't have to actually see the Job Squad chase around the 24/7 belt each week. 
Have uh, we saw in this past uh, week? Spoiler alert! <laughs> I was gonna say this question no longer applies. Spoiler alert! Our uh, truth is your new twenty four seven champion because Rob Gronkowski has to apparently get ready for playing football again. Now that he is a part of the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers with uh, his buddy Tom Brady, have you missed the 24-7 belt on uh, Raw the last, I guess, month and a half ever since WrestleMania? Is this a real question? This is a real question. Because I I, I often (laughs) feel like I am in the minority with my thoughts, like saying that certain wrestlers suck. And everybody's like, "No, you are wrong. You are you are incorrect, sir." And when I say the, tw- I didn't, I have not missed the twenty four seven belt at all, not even a little bit. I feel like the twenty four seven title is the worst thing they've ever done. It's as ugly as it is pointless. And Gronk being off TV with it, whatever, it was all well and good, whatever. Obviously, now he's gonna go play football. I think the only thing that I liked about him being off TV with it, and maybe now with him off TV altogether, is no more Mojo Raleigh. Mojo Raleigh? Mojo Raleigh! Sorry, I was a little slow on the drop. I got Cheeto fingers. <laughs> uh, but to me, man, I, I normally find R-Truth super entertaining. But... He's been doing like the, that bucktooth, like hillbilly act lately, and it's just I find it very nauseating. And I don't want to go back to, you know, our truth dressing in disguises and having, you know, seven uh, guys who are lower mid card just chasing him around just to try to get a pinfall, you know, back by the hot dog stand. It just doesn't do anything for me. When when this belt was introduced, when Mick Foley came out and he said that the third hour of Raw is going to be different, the third hour of Raw that they made it sound like the third that third hour of Raw was going to be like something special, and then they just forgot that they ever said it. And then they pull out the Waffle House belt, which <laughs> which I want to get your opinion if that one is worse than the TNT belt that we saw at uh, Double or Nothing the other day. I like the TNT belt. I think the TNT belt actually, and especially when they've, they've shown the finished renders, mm. it reminds me of an old school boxing title. Like something that somebody would carry around, like hold on the top of their head, like with the WC, uh, BC belt. I feel like that's what that resembles more to me versus a green strap with a clock on it. And That's not that, true. <laughs> Jason Calcibetta joining like, the show. That definitely looks like a toy with the 24-7 title. What looks more like a toy, the 24-7 title or the AEW women's belt? Oh, that's a <laughs> tough one. And, and it's only because of the size that the Nyla Rose... I mean, I mean that, that the belt is, not mm-hmm. with Nyla Rose holding it mm-hmm. as well for that long period of time. So... Um, Man, that's a tough question. See, I'll still go with the twenty four seven title. See, I like the the actual like intricate intricate art on the the women's AEW belt. Yeah, but why is it so damn small? Like questions that I have been at that women have asked me over you know my lifetime. Why is it so damn small? You know, I think that I think that Kenny Omega just made it with Riho in mind and all the Joshi women in mind. Mm-hmm. See, and, and when Rio holds it, it doesn't seem, because as JR will tell you, she, she's 90 pounds, her. 
Jeez. <laughs> but I don't know, man. 24-7 belt looks like it's coming back. Looks like we uh, positive of that is that it looks like we will not have to deal with Gronk, which I was really worried about post WrestleMania. However, twenty four seven his belt promo back, last week was horrible. Dude, he's so bad. Like I, it's not that hard. I don't know. I guess whenever I see like a you know a a wrestler do like a shitty you know scene or something like that i'm like dude it's not that hard to, to have some charisma and be an actor is it really that hard do you really have to like is it really that painfully difficult in order to to be convincing about something that you're supposed to believe in well and, and granted i know that some like cody have taken like acting classes mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and that's what they should be doing because if if acting was easy everybody could do it right so that that's that's Everybody person, but, can do it, Doug. They just haven't tried. <laughs> but with Mojo, watching his promo, it felt like me as a kid trying to pretend like I was bring, being Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, putting the sunglasses on and clearly reading the teleprompter or whatever he had written there. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was just so, so bad. Yeah, man, I... I I'm glad, I'm glad we don't have to deal with any Gronk nonsense. Um, I am still planning on uh, sending you your Gronk Mania shirt once they go on clearance on uh, WWEshop.com. And then uh, Doug will post a picture of him proudly wearing Gronk Mania shirt at STF Underground on Twitter and at Dougie Wrestling on Twitter. Yeah, I, I definitely will. And then I'll post a video lighting it on fire. That would be kind of awesome, actually. Especially like if I can get the shirt for like four bucks, I would be okay <laughs> with you uh, wearing it and then lighting it on fire. That would be totally acceptable. If I have to pay twenty five bucks for it, you better you better wear that shirt until you know the thread uh, comes apart. I'll sleep in it. That'd be great. Um, one of our favorite emailers here, Mark the Mark, writes. Let's be honest. Edge versus Orton will be good, but it won't even sniff the greatest wrestling match of all time. Why are they booking it as such, and what actually is the greatest this wrestling match of Mark's all time? Question? This is Mark the Mark's question. Why is he making us talk about the the greatest wrestling match ever? I, what a horrible topic. It is a... Um, it's been very curious how they've been presenting this, and I know you talked about this recently on an episode of your podcast, Doug. And uh, I think you even threw it out on uh, Twitter as about uh, what some of the listeners might have thought is the greatest wrestling match of all time. So before we get into you know some of those actual matches, because I'm sure you've uh, compiled yourself quite a list uh, based on what you talked about on your podcast and also uh, some of the suggestions you've gotten from social media, why are they being why is they being the WWE being so overly in your face about? this being the greatest wrestling match of all time and even using the term wrestling which has been kind of taboo for wwe over the last decade or so you know it's a funny question because you're exactly right they have gone away from using that term it actually was on vince's no list Mm -hmm. um bully ray on busted open radio was said to have said you know that Vince would take wrestling out of WWE if he could because they're an entertainment company. They they tell stories, as he said. You know, worldwide entertainment. And so seeing wrestling coming back is very interesting um, in this moment. And and I think that it's just 
to separate the match apart from all the other gimmicks that they have and you know the schmazes that 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 they always do and make it a straight up pure wrestling match which fine i enjoy wrestling even though you know the wwe would make it seem as if we're not supposed to enjoy wrestling as it is but i enjoy my wrestling you know and, and to answer the other question about some of the matches I went back and did kind of a history lesson uh, on a lot of these wrestling matches and watched a lot of them back because mm-hmm. we were getting some responses on, on our polls that we did all over our social media. And one of them that kept overwhelmingly coming up was Randy Savage versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat from, I believe it was WrestleMania three. Right. And I went back to watch that. And when I went back to watch it, I was like, I get it. I get why this is considered one of the better wrestling matches ever. But nowadays, it, it doesn't stand the test of time, unfortunately, because it's a lot of shoulder blocks. It's a lot of throwing people outside of the ring, and then they're just there for a while. Um, a lot like the big, big moves in the match is an axe handle smash. Like those, those kind of things are just don't stand the test of time. But what does is the psychology of the match, mm-hmm. the storytelling of the match, and that's what really makes that match one of the best of all time. I also have personally. Um, my favorite match ever is Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, WrestleMania 25. Even The Undertaker botch with the cameraman increased the drama to that. Um, even though it was like the whole like, you know, grab your hair moment kind of thing. Yeah. And then I, I do have another one on the list, and this is going to be maybe controversial because I'm going to say the name of Chris Benoit, but. Chris Benoit versus Kurt Angle, Royal Rumble 2003. If you haven't gone back and watched that in a while, I, I went back to watch it because it was on a lot of best of lists. Mm-hmm. And this match, like, and I'm so used to watching Monday Night Raw nowadays, like, in the background, like, while I'm just scrolling on social media or whatever it was. I had to put my phone down. I didn't remember how this match ended mm-hmm. um, and, and a lot of the spots. I had to put my phone down to sit there and watch it because the match itself was so well booked. It was compelling. And it, it's really one of the best and most recent straight-up wrestling matches that you'd be able to go back and see. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, you sent me a screenshot of your WWE Network when you went to search for the that match (laughs) that's right and apparently like although benoit exists he is not a searchable existence it said like kurt angle competes in a singles bout (laughs) it's funny because i looked for kurt angle versus benoit and then they showed kurt angle versus Shawn michaels kurt angle versus this person kurt angle versus this person kurt angle defends his wwe championship at the royal rumble (laughs) like huh is that the one like it's gotta be if if they're if it's very like under like under the radar like obviously they're trying to hide something then chris benoit is probably involved in the match in some way uh one of the things that you were talking about i think it was on your social media i don't i don't think it was on or you might have mentioned it on the show as well but there was something you said about trying to find the best wrestling match that was actually like that wasn't gimmicky like it yep. wasn't like a Hell in a Cell. It wasn't like a you know a TLC match. It wasn't like a War Iron Games. Man matches even, you know, like right. things that extend the match or whatever it might be in an unfair or not just straight up wrestling match kind of way. And there was a lot of a lot of the first things that came to my mind would be like Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon, but that was a ladder match. 
uh, Ric Flair and, and Terry Funk. I remember when I was nine years old watching the Clash of the Champions on TBS, and I didn't even know what good wrestling was when I was nine years old, but I knew this was, you know, I knew, and I knew that Terry Funk against Ric Flair, but it was an I Quit match, you know, so same thing with uh, Bretton uh, Austin at WrestleMania 13. That was a, an I Quit match. But a couple that, that came up for me were one that I know that you're uh, uh, probably going to be on board with, and that's uh, CM Punk and John Cena, Money in the Bank two, uh, 2011. So I have to tell you, so I have to debate that with you, because that is my personal favorite match of all time. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking quality of wrestling matches, their match on Monday Night Raw before the, the following year's WrestleMania, yep. I think was actually bell to bell better the the money in the bank one had actually more schmaz type stuff in there with vince and and uh john laurinaitis and and it had a better story leading up to it which is why it's one of my favorites but they're wrong chicago too so that exactly that that adds to the you know the mystique of of punk you know leaving among his brethren you know with with the belt presumably to go you know take it away from the company but there was there was so much you know there, and that was kind of the same thing that uh, I think atmosphere plays a plays a big deal into it too. Sure. When you, when you talk sure. about uh, uh, it was at the uh, uh, the ECW uh, one night only or what was it called one night stand, one night yeah. stand. Uh, RVD and and John Cena John Cena walking in with the yeah, you know the belt hold, held yeah. over his head and the if RVD Cena, cashing in his money in the uh-huh. bank. Yeah, if Cena wins, we riot. You know, I think. Just the fact that it was at the Manhattan Center and it had that ECW crowd, I think that that makes that even more memorable. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, mention the uh, the Omega Okada matches. I think of the three, I think Meltzer progressively rated them higher. I think he went six stars, six and a quarter, and then seven. But oh, there was four of them. There were four. There was four. I didn't. What, I don't even remember the fourth. The fourth one was when Kenny won the title. That that arguably. Oh, so that was the fourth one. Okay, I that thought was that was the fourth. Yeah. That was the one that Meltzer gave seven stars to. Correct. But yep. My favorite one was the uh, the the one that was the six star match uh, that o- Okada ended up winning. I think they went like forty five minutes on uh, at that Wrestle Kingdom show, and that was the one where Okada came out on top. The second one, or the next, the one after that, was the one that Meltzer rated a tiny bit higher. That was the draw, which that was I, the draw, which yeah. I didn't really care for as much as the first one. I thought it was an amazing match, but my you, you my know why was that match wasn't one. as good? Why is that? That because it had like thirty rainmakers in it. Rainmaker. <laughs> and it just like I think that that was the sixty-minute draw, and it yep. just like went on way too long and they just couldn't think of anything else to do and the rainmaker now just means nothing it means nothing it is the least protected finisher in professional wrestling even more so than the attitude adjustment (laughs) but yeah no i I agree with you you know they're all of their matches were fantastic um you know just the second one was just the least fantastic out of all of them i i agree and i it kind of surprised me that you know, I think uh, Meltzer gave that like an extra quarter star than the first one, but I, the first one, man, there was something there was something special about that. Oh, it's totally amazing, yeah. Uh, we got a couple emails left here. Uh, Jimmy T in Las Vegas writes, AEW made a gross, inappropriate decision to shoot an attempted drowning segment 
of the stadium stampede just days after Shad Gaspard's death. What did the, why did the company think that this was okay to do? So in the stadium stampede match, well, first of all, what were your uh, overall thoughts of the stadium stampede? Because I thought it was entertaining as hell. Uh, my brother, who is kind of a casual AEW fan, thought that it was pretty moronic. Uh, where <laughs> he just could not get into. He goes and then a and then a horse showed up and then Matt Hardy's like four different guys. I think he just doesn't like Matt Hardy. I think that's oh, that's geez. his thing. But uh, what was your uh, overall thoughts on the Stadium Stampede as a whole? I thought it was uh, brilliantly done. I thought it was one of my top five favorite matches of all time. Oh wow! Actually, I'm gonna put that up there and make that hot take statement. Hot take. There you go. Because it gave me everything that I wanted as a match from beginning to end, as far as entertainment, big spots, the kind of cool moments, like in the bar fight and everything, and all of it, unlike the Money in the Bank match, all of it was within the the premise of a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. You know, you had the actually the first eight minutes of the entire match was around the ring, and doing wrestling matches in the ring, outside of the ring, you know, dives, whatever it might be. And then other things that happened, you know, like Matt Jackson doing the moonsault off the uprights, the 100 yards of Northern Lights suplexes, the the bar fight itself. I mean, Heyman Page did a uh, the the lariat, the buckshot lariat, over Kenny onto the bar, onto Hager. So Amazing. everything was, again, within, within the realm of a wrestling match that was done, Yes, there was silliness. Yes, there was a horse. But everything was just the perfect level of funny. There wasn't a food fight for Brent for no reason. Mm-hmm. There wasn't, you know, like in Money in the Bank, it, it seemed like nobody was trying to win the match except for Asuka. And I think that in this match, it seemed like everybody was trying to win the match and trying to, you know, dismember their opponents pretty much. I only have a couple issues with the match. One... There, there was a coach on the sideline. Did you see the coach on the sideline that was like had like a play, had the playbook, and he was Arn like Anderson? he he was covering. Yeah, he had like an Arn Anderson like <laughs> Waffle House menu, and he had a headset on, and he was walking up and down the sidelines and look, and he was reacting to things in the match. They never acknowledged him at all. Go back and go back and watch that. He's in the background. He's uh, you know the cheerleaders were there. The mascot was there. Jackson Deville, I believe uh, his name yep, is. Yep. Who uh, yeah. who got the uh, the back elbow from uh, from Chris Jericho? But there there was a coach there, and it was awesome. And they did not uh, acknowledge it. The other thing was the hundred yards of Northern Lights suplexes. What should Rick Knox have done when the 100 yards was complete and they got into the end zone? He should have signaled touchdown, and he did not. Shame on you. That was a miss. Shame on you, Rick Knox, you piece of shit. (laughs) You are now number one on my shit list of referees. It used to be Todd Sinclair from Ring of Honor. Just because everybody else used to shit on him too, and I'm a oh, he's the worst, and I'm a follower instead of a leader. So I just <laughs> I just jumped on the bandwagon. But now you, Rick Knox, you just made the list. Oh, I'm just saying, um, and I don't have a drop for that. <laughs> how about how about this one? Fail, Rick Knox. 
Shame on you. Uh, but the question at hand here is from Jimmy T, and it was about the pool segment between Santana Ortiz and Matt Hardy, where they would stick his head under the water and Matt Hardy would come up as a different character. This was just days after Shad Gaspard's unfortunate uh, drowning death, I believe it was in California. And I got to tell you, when I was watching the stadium stampede, this did not even cross my mind. And whether it's, you know, my insensitivity or whether it's just my ignorance, I, I did not even think of, Shad Gaspard did not even pop into my head when that scene was going on. It wasn't until I saw some people uh, kind of giving a little bit of a backlash on social media, and I think Rebby Hardy even kind of had to jump to Matt's defense that he's been doing this water gimmick, you know, the Lake of Reincarnation thing Reincarnation, for, for, yeah. for years, and that it wasn't in any way tied to, you know, the unfortunate uh, situation with, with Shad. What did you think? Did, did that even pop into your head when you were watching that? Everything you just said is almost verbatim the words that I was going to say. Okay. That the 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 whole thing with Shad didn't even pop into my mind. And I've talked to a lot of people that feel the exact same way. It wasn't even in my head until somebody pointed it out to me, right. and I was like, eh, okay. But but I think that the people that are finding something wrong with it are just the people that are going to be unhappy about something either way. They're, they're the people that are looking for something to be wrong and making a connection to it. I mean, the pool wasn't put there. The pool was already there. Mm -hmm. The gimmick for Hardy, like you said, the Lake of Reincarnation is already there. And what other way, other than the freezer again, are they going to have him come out and, as another gimmick? I thought it was fantastic. The you know Ortiz not being able to swim kind of thing I thought it was really good, <laughs> you know that that all of that whole thing with the with Matt Hardy and Santana and Ortiz was just laugh out loud funny to me. Did not think of it for a second. Yeah, it like I said, it didn't even pop up until I saw uh, some of the people online talking about it. And you know, for that matter, there could have been, and there probably were. There probably were like animal rights people that said that you're. You know, abusing that horse by making it walk on uh, the concrete, you know, because uh, it's, you know, the running on a turf is one thing, but, you know, a horse, you know, trying to maneuver on like the slippery concrete in the concourse, they could say that that was, you know, uh, inappropriate or, you know, animal neglect or whatever. There's somebody's going to be ticked off about everything, especially in this day and age with you know the culture that we're that we're in right now everybody has a problem somebody has a problem with everything you know even the most you know the person who who just gives a bunch of money to charity they'll get on them because they uh they they publicized it or something like that they they think it should have been anonymous or you you can't give to that charity because they only use you know 70 percent of the money down. Calm you know, down. I don't, I don't gonna... know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, just the. I don't know. I just try to be a good person, and a lot of times being a good person is not good enough anymore. I guess if that makes sense. And For those that can't see, Dan just took his pants off during his tirade. I here, did. So. You know. <laughs> you know. Jokes on you, Doug. I wasn't wearing pants from the start. Damn. <laughs> so like like I said, I. I it didn't cross my mind. I guess I was just so into, you know, the 
entertainment value of the match that it just, I just didn't I didn't think of it you know I and it sucks if people got offended by it but I 100% know that that was not their AEW's goal was to was to offend people or to say we got to do a spot here because this is what's in the news right now I'm 100% sure that that's not the case no it wasn't like the you know trying to take advantage of a situation like with Jeff Hardy and the whole alcohol thing. And that's why you're the best in the business, Doug, because the next email comes from Paul in St. Louis. Wonderful transition. If He writes, <laughs> if Jeff Hardy is okay with WWE using his real-life issues and storylines, should we be accepting of it as well? So on SmackDown this past week, apparently Jeff Hardy got drunk and drove, uh, uh, ran down Elias. And uh, Jeff Hardy has had many run-ins with uh, DUIs, DWIs. I'm not sure if they were... Uh, His I, demons. I, I think he's had both, uh, D, both DUIs and DWIs uh, over the years. He had, yep. does have a lot of demons that he has uh, get, been given opportunity and opportunity to try to overcome. And sometimes in his life he has been more successful than others, but with any kind of disease or any kind of addiction there are uh, inevitable times when you are going to fall back but it seemed like Jeff Hardy had been in a good place in this last run but now they're doing a storyline tying in his real life issues with on screen stories so the question was if Jeff Hardy's okay with it should we be okay with it as well what are your thoughts I think the most surprising part of this whole thing is that people still watch SmackDown. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, what are you doing with your time, people? Good job, yeah. Doug. That's why you're the best. <laughs> now, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, you have to understand, first off, that Vince has been guilty about ex- exposing and exploiting real life situations like this regardless of whether the superstars are comfortable with it or not and and who are you as a WWE superstar going to be the one that's going to say no to Vince McMahon mm-hmm. first and foremost I'm, and I'm not saying or speculating that Hardy did say yes or no or was uncomfortable or whatever it might be but we all know that there's been things that people have done that they just were not happy doing. Hardy likely okayed it. We don't know if he was pressured or not, obviously. And WWE has been guilty of doing worse, unfortunately. I don't know. I, I think that it's in poor taste. Um, but again, I, I also don't watch SmackDown so they can do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. I that's uh, I actually wrote down bad taste on on my uh, my notes here and kind of something you alluded to with with Jeff Hardy he had to have okayed it but do you f- i mean if you're a WWE superstar especially when you've seen a bunch of your friends just lose their jobs do you kind of have to feel especially now more than ever that you can't you know uh fight back on it, on any you know storylines or or any a creative that you don't totally agree with do you kind of feel like you have to like pressured not that they came out and said you oh we really think this would be great if you do this do you kind of feel like an inner pressure to have to 
kind of fall in line and go with the flow because of the situation that we're in right now, especially when uh, jobs, particularly in the world of pro wrestling, are so hard to come by. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't like it. I don't like when they did it with the Legion of Doom and, and with Hawk, if you remember yeah, that. that was with, horrible, uh, horrible. I remember that. Scared for life. And it actually uh, came up. Uh, I just watched the Road Warriors Dark Side of the Ring, and that, that came up uh, quite a bit, what they did with, uh, I think it was uh, Draws, was like the new member of LOD. and there LOD was the, 2000. Yeah, the, Sunny. the storyline that they were trying to get, get rid of Hawk and it, real, using his real, uh, real life issues with, with alcohol and, and drugs. A little bit of the bubbly. Uh, I don't know if it was the bubbly. It was probably something a little harder than that. But, uh, and Scott Hall, they also did something like that with Scott Hall and WCW. When he was having all of these problems that were well documented, and then they came him back, brought him back, and they did like an alcoholism angle with that. I don't know if you remember that, uh, kind of toward the end of the WCW run. So here's my question, and the only thing that I had trouble with in answering this question was similar to what you're mentioning with Scott Hall, and I do remember all of that, but I also do remember the angle with Chris Jericho and CM Punk. Yes. CM Punk's father's real-life issues with alcoholism and why Punk is straight edge. Mm -hmm. So nobody had that much of a an issue with it at the time with Jericho you know, pouring mm -hmm. alcohol on Punk's head or whatever, whether it was alcohol or not, you know, I, I don't know. But that angle itself was another, once again, exploiting demons, regardless of whether it wasn't punks or not, it was kind of the family demons that they were exploiting. Yeah. Yeah, I had totally forgotten about that, but you know, it just, it's so, it's so weird that we, we go through these phases with WWE where, you know, people talk about, oh, the stuff you did in the Attitude Era, you would never be able to get away with it now. But, you know... A lot of those things that they that they do before, you would think that they wouldn't still be doing them now because they would be in such poor taste, but they still are because at the end of the day, it's the same guy writing the checks. It's the same guy, you know, giving the the gladiator thumbs up or thumbs down, and that's Vince McMahon. And if Vince thinks that that it's okay, then it's going to be okay to to put on on TV. Like you said, poor taste for sure, but who am I to say don't do it? I, I would just say just don't watch SmackDown because it sucks. <laughs> I mean, once again, why are people wasting time watching SmackDown? <laughs> watch clips if you need to on YouTube if that's how you want to get your fix. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, put yourself to sleep. It's probably more effective than, you know, your doctor prescribed Valerian Root or Melatonin or whatever. Is no, that what Valerian Root is for? I've been seeing that pop up a lot lately. I thought it was some Game of Thrones thing. <laughs> Valerian is good <laughs> for sleep. I, I worked in the nutrition business for a very long time. Oh, so. wow. Look at you. <laughs> uh, you can uh, hit up Doug on Twitter, at Dougie Wrestling, for all your uh, nutrition questions. Uh, for a small fee, he will uh, create a personalized nutrition plan for you. That's true. Anything with supplements, come at me, bro, and then I'll get you that and your wrestling fix. I like it. Nick in Mobile, Alabama writes, Is Nia Jax capable of getting through a match or even a backstage segment without hurting someone? Uh, the answer is no. Uh, next email comes from... <laughs> uh, all right. My, you heard my answer, 
Doug, uh, Nia Jax is starting to get a little bit of a reputation, whether fair or unfair. I'm curious to hear what, what your thoughts are, because judging by what I've read online, there are a lot of people in both camps saying that uh, she's kind of getting a, an unfair bad rep. And some people saying that she needs to go uh, back down to developmental before she really hurts somebody uh, seriously. Uh, the one that the situation that we remember the most is the Becky Lynch incident from 2018, where Nia Jax just turned around and socked her right in the face. On the other hand, though, that kind of ended up being kind of a blessing for Becky Lynch because it, uh, you know, kind of gave another uh, gave a, gave us that memorable scene of her at the top of the ramp with uh, her face covered in blood. Uh, but Nia, this is not Nia Jax's first run-in with. Uh, injuring opponents we've had uh i believe it was at the evolution pay-per-view a couple years ago where she concussed selena vega i believe she slammed uh, bailey on her shoulder wrong which uh, caused bailey to miss SummerSlam. i think about three years ago maybe 2017 but she's had a kind of a string of run-ins with Kyrie sane lately the most recent uh being a horrible gash i don't know if you caught that on uh Raw this past week, the uh, horrible gash that Kyrie Sane had to get uh, closed up from, uh, I think it was like an Irish whip on the outside. It was a... Um, into the stairs. Into the steps, yep. But th- that, w- that was not even the first run-in that she'd had with Kyrie Sane. The first one was a couple months ago with the uh, buckle bomb, which apparently the buckle bomb was... Is it still banned? It was banned for a while as a result it of just that. It got, just got banned this past week once again. Okay. And then there was one backstage that kind of flew under the radar. It, I believe it was the Raw where Becky Lynch uh, presented the belt to Asuka, and then Kyrie Sane was backstage playing her recorder, as, as she is uh, prone to do. And Nia Jax kind of just snuck up behind her and just threw her into one of those big uh, audio-video chests in the back. And it was so painful to watch and, and, and so awkward. So my question to you is, fair or unfair that Nia Jax is getting uh, this reputation as being unsafe in the ring? Because I think even Meltzer said this week that he got a text from somebody uh, backstage at WWE that there is a contingent forming for firing Nia Jax. Whoa, okay. Well, so I'm going to come at this at multiple angles because first and foremost, is she unsafe? There's plenty of matches that she's had in her career over the last several years that she, where she has not hurt somebody, right? And, and so that that's the first thing is that these are all isolated incidents. And on top of that, if we're talking like the the Becky punch to the face, you know how many people have broken other people's noses? I mean, uh, Hikaru Shida just broke... Uh, Brett Baker's nose on Dynamite the other day, and nobody's saying anything about Hikaru Shida, right? Mm-hmm. I think that people are harder on Nia Jax because she's a... I mean, most people would say... She's not like most girls. Yeah, I'll just say that. that that's a great way to put it. it is, <laughs> she's not like most girls that you would see in on most rosters. And the it is very hard to separate the heel hate, especially for a large superstar 
versus the actual person because most people actually love her backstage as far as you know the Nia Jax the person. Regardless of all of that, I don't think anything is going to happen to her because of who her family lineage is. It doesn't really matter, and uh, and and no pun intended on that, but and who she hurts because of what of who she is. Now, I, I, on the other hand, I want to ask you this, right? I know a superstar that has, in in the matter of one match, concussed another guy, um, put you know a, a tooth up the other the superstar's nose, um, con- further concussed him, and could have ended his life and, and a career shorter. And that is the Undertaker doing all of that to Mick Foley. Right. Or if you want to talk about other injuries, the Undertaker Irish whipped and threw Shawn Michaels out of the ring onto a casket, ending Shawn Michaels career for four years. Mm -hmm. Right. There's plenty of wrestlers that are injuring other wrestlers. Nobody's going to say anything because it's the Undertaker and it's not on purpose. Right. It's not like you it's not like he's meaning to do that. Could Nia Jax use more training because maybe she's a little reckless? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is she bad or has she been purposely hurting any of these people? No. She just needs a little bit more work on polishing up. And she probably got moved up to the main roster a little bit too quickly, again, because of her lineage. The thing that bugs me a little bit about the quote-unquote monster characters in wrestling, is it possible to be a, a monster I'm not a monster. <laughs> Is it possible to be a monster? I'm, I'm always going to hear that now every time I hear that song. Uh, just like whenever uh, whenever I hear the SmackDown uh, theme song, I always go, Are you ready for the same shit? Every time. And, That's not what they say. And... I've even got, it's even got to the point with uh, my wife, I'll go, are you ready? And from the other side of the house, she'll go, are you ready for the same shit? She doesn't watch SmackDown, has no idea of of what's going on with, with anything. Uh, she only mildly tolerates my uh, production of this podcast. But it's even got to the point where she realizes that SmackDown is just the same shit. Baron Corbin and two other guys against three other guys in a six-man tag every week. She she knows what's what the uh, the formula is. Uh, don't remember what I was talking about, but... <laughs> I Oh, now I do. Uh, is it possible to be a monster while still being safe? Because what I've been seeing... And it kind of started with Brock. When Brock came back and kind of started taking everybody to Suplex City, it seems like he wanted to to prove how much of a monster he was and how, you know, voracious he was. And a lot of people ended up getting dropped, like, on the back of their head. I saw the same thing with the with the first two appearances of Brian Cage in AEW. I saw some kind of unsafe monster stuff in that ladder match, and then I saw some unsafe monster stuff with the uh, guy that he faced in that match on Dynamite. And I'm also seeing it with Killer Cross in NXT the last few weeks. They've been putting Killer Cross out there against these, you know, these these poor indie guys that are just happy to, to get some exposure on TV. And Killer Cross is doing these like relu- release like suplexes and dro- and dropping these guys on the backs of their necks. Uh huh. And 
and everybody's got, oh, well, he's just, that's just the way he throws guys because he's a monster. Where, where Kurt Angle would do it in a certain way where your back would hit flat, and that would be more of the, the Kurt Angle ilk because he is a accomplished uh, amateur wrestler and a technician to where he could do that, but a monster is just more a little wild and out of control, mm-hmm. and, and people are getting, you know, <laughs> stop it. It's going to be stuck in my head forever. I'm not a monster. You might think that I am, but I am not a monster. Lucky for me, I'm not a monster. Well, like to your point with with, with all those things there, look at Seth Rollins. Mm-hmm. Seth Rollins essentially has taken several wrestlers out, including retiring Sting and taking out the the biggest attraction that WWE has in Becky Lynch. So Whoa! <laughs> nice. I thought you were going to say uh, something about him uh, ruining Finn Balor's push. Because Finn Balor was never the same after that. They had He was earmarked to be the first Universal Champion, probably have a nice big run with it, and he held mm-hmm. it for less than 24 hours because of Seth Rollins. And then we saw that, uh, that famous... Uh, picture of John Cena's mangled face after the ripcord knee that Seth Rollins gave him. Uh, but Seth is pretty universally praised as the mm-hmm. Monday Night Messiah right now, and is it because he has better wrestling ability, or is more entertaining, or he's a young, good-looking guy, or whatever it might be? Like, there's many reasons like that people could pinpoint as far as why aren't you treating Seth Rollins the same way as you're treating Nia Jax. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense, man. And I, I, the thing you talked about, too, with her family and the fact that she has a famous family member who is, like, the most influential man in Hollywood right now. Oh, shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty! Oh! <laughs> Dwayne, I th- thought we were friends. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you think! Oh, okay. Um... I have just been uh, let uh, known via Mr. Johnson that um, we are apparently uh, feuding because I have uh, said inappropriate things about his uh, family members. So I apologize. What? I said I apologize. What? I apologize to Mr. Johnson and uh, the entire Johnson clan. I apologize, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doug, I love uh, doing these shows with you. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you, you've given some levity to uh, the uh, awful world that we currently live in. And uh, hopefully the uh, six people that listen to this show, too, are uh, enjoying it as well, as much as I'm we are. I'm one of them, so yeah. Okay, I mean, well, the other five <laughs> that listen to the show. And I subscribe to my own podcast because I'm... A mark for myself. So the other four that subscribe that are out there. Will, Jason. My mom. What are the other two? I, oh. subs- I subscribed on my mom's phone so we get them downloads. <laughs> so we've got one other person. Yeah, so if you could go to your wife's phone. Thank you. Go to your wife's <laughs> phone and pull up the Rhino Wrestling Review on whatever podcast platform she uses. Just uh, She'll be like, what the hell is this? It's taking up all my memory on the phone. Don't worry about it. It's amazing. Just listen to it. But, you know, Nia Jax, I, I think it's, I think a lot of the stuff that came up with her has kind of been, 
overblown a little bit. Yes, like you said, she could use some seasoning, uh, some polishing as far as, you know, being a little bit more careful in the ring. But a lot of the stuff about her, like over the last couple of years, like somebody said that she hurt R-Truth in the Royal Rumble. Uh, R-Truth came out the next night and won the United States Championship, so he was fine. Somebody said that uh, she, he, she hurt uh, Alexa Bliss's shoulder. No, the shoulder injury was a cover for uh, Alexa Bliss getting her breast implants changed out. You know, there, so there's a lot of things that have been out there about Nia Jax that really are kind of unfair. She was doing her a favor, people, and us, for that matter. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So thank you, Nia Jax. Yes. For all that you do. Thank you. Uh, final email comes from Ted and KC. Ted writes, of the wrestlers who are commonly considered the greatest of all time, i.e. Flair, Austin, Hogan, Rock, HBK, Undertaker, etc., what flaws or deficiencies do you see in their stake to that claim? So, Doug, when you think about your Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling, and you think about the four faces that are on there. I don't know who those four faces are in, in your case, but if you could think of something that was in their character or in their game or something about them particularly that may be caused to not necessarily take them off your Mount Rushmore, but something that could have you know helped propel them even further... Give me a wrestler that, that comes to mind as one of those that's considered the greatest of all time, and then maybe give me something that you could say uh, would be a knock to them. So let me start with this. If we're talking about Rushmores, there's different ways that people will put their Rushmore together, right? It could be their favorites. It could be in-ring. To me, the Mount Rushmore of Rushmores is the people who had the most impact on the business, right? Now, the names that you mentioned Mojo here, Raleigh! About, oh, Jesus. Mojo <laughs> Raleigh! He's up there. The, the people that you named here, you know, I'll talk about them in a second, but just to give you my personal Rushmore uh, of who is who are the, the faces that had the most impact on the business, I'm going to say Hogan, Austin... Um, Bruno Sammartino and then if I'm going a non-wrestler I'll say Vince but if I have to name a wrestler I'll say Ric Flair mm -hmm. all four of those guys at some point were the carrier of their, of their particular wrestling organization and could not have gotten to the next level without you know w without them essentially w without that person their, their WWE couldn't have gone from you know, being a territory to being, you know, a nationwide without Vince couldn't have gone from being nationwide or kind of New York to, you know, the the larger than life without Hogan couldn't have gone from national to global without Austin. And then, of course, Ric Flair is just the greatest of all time. That said, you know, if, if we're talking about. You know, specifically some of these guys that people consider, you know, it, it's kind of funny. There are very few people that will consider The Undertaker to be on that Rushmore or the greatest of all time. And I think it's only because The Undertaker was never the guy. He was never the guy that the, the flag bearer, the, the guy that carried the torch, the guy that you're tuning into the to to the TV to. And that's not a knock on The Undertaker. 
but it's absolutely a credit to all of the talent that they had at the same time. And at that same time, when the Undertaker was at his prime, you had Austin and Rock and then Cena, mm-hmm. right? Three of the guys that really were some of the biggest flag bearers in history of wrestling. So it's not a knock on Taker, but he was never the guy, just like Jericho was never the guy in the WWE. Just like, you know, there's there's a whole mess of guys. Triple H was never the guy in WWE. Randy Orton was never the guy in WWE. The, the, the people that are, you think of WWE and you think of this person, that's the person that's carrying that. Unfortunately for Shawn Michaels, it was kind of the same. Shawn Michaels had that, you know, three-year window where he was kind of the guy, but it was that transition of the silly WWE into the Attitude Era WWE, Mm -hmm. and where it was going from Hogan to Austin. So, you know, you had that kind of era, and while to me, Shawn Michaels is my personal favorite wrestler of all time, he was never really the guy. So, if we're talking about moveset, I don't think that you can have an argument with anybody that would say Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels are the two top with no flaws in ring storytelling, all those kind of things and two different eras and still stand the test of time in any of those eras. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, there's, if, if that answers your question, there's just a couple of different ways to look at that. So there was a a couple things uh, that you said were very similar to some of the notes that I had for HBK. He really, missed out and kind of something that you talked about earlier with that uh, career ending at the time injury that he had he really missed out on those prime attitude era years that he really could have climbed you know up the ladder on of the all-time greats and a lot of people still have you know Shawn Michaels you know if not you know one or two in in their top five but he really missed out on the, on the pro wrestling boom, and they brought him back a few times as like a general manager and and like a a referee, but it just wasn't the it wasn't the same. He really missed out on those prime years of, of pro wrestling, and he never crossed over to pop culture like Hogan and Flair and The Rock and Austin and even Undertaker. You know, my if I showed these pictures to random people on the streets that really weren't pro wrestling fans they could tell you who hulk hogan was you know they could tell you who the rock is they could probably even tell you who you know austin flair and taker were probably wouldn't be able to tell you who Shawn michaels was so i think that was that was probably his big thing that that kind of you know holds holds him back from the stake to that claim uh for hogan who was the biggest star i think probably the biggest star Maybe him or Austin. A lot of people would argue Austin because of the time that it happened. But arguably the biggest star in the history of pro wrestling. And I was a huge Hogan fan growing up, you know, in the 80s and early 90s. But looking back on it, he was very repetitive in the ring. He did have the same formula. That's because the formula worked. But, you know, there was that lack of, of technical skill that a lot of people think that to be called the greatest of all time... You have to not only have this larger-than-life character that can connect with the audience, but you've got to be able to to go bell to bell in the ring, and Ho- that was never really Hogan's game, you know, because of his size and because of his character, he didn't need to to do those things. Hogan embodied the entertainment portion yep. 
of sports entertainment in, in two eras, by the way, mm-hmm. in the 80s as, you know, regular Hulk Hogan and in the 90s as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. So that t- is a credit for him. Uh, as far as Ric Flair goes, if you listen to uh, Ole Anderson, Ole Anderson is the crabbiest old man in uh, wrestling right now. If you listen to any of his shoot interviews, he will tell you that Ric Flair had the same damn match every night. <laughs> He would he would go out there and he would do you know 45 minutes with whoever it was and he Ole would say that Flair would do the same match every night and you, you know you would see a lot of those a lot you would see a lot of those components in in some of the older Flair matches but you know I I kind of disagree with that and the fact that I think Rick was able to change it up for a lot of the towns that he went to a lot a lot of the old timers would tell you that. That he tried to make make each experience uh, unique, but I think a lot of the the thing that kind of holds Flair back is that his WWE run was when he was in his quasi prime. He was still you know a little long in the tooth when he had his WWE run with Bobby Heenan and Mr. Perfect, but his run was just so short. You know he had that memorable Royal Rumble. Uh, he had the uh, memorable. With a tear! <laughs> he had the memorable match with uh, Savage at at WrestleMania. He never really had that that he never really had that big pay per view Hogan match uh, in in WWE. They would have it, you know, when both were uh, quite a bit older in WCW. But I think the the fact that Flair never got that big time exposure in WWE for a long uh, length of time until he was yeah. Until he was, you know, after he was at his prime wrestling years. Uh, But I think that would be, those would be the ones that kind of stand out to me. I think with Austin, people talk about how his wrestling style changed over the years. And the fact when he was stunning Steve in WCW and he was, you know, the TV champ. TV champ was kind of like their intercontinental champ. And the fact that they always put, you know, one of the, the better workhorses on that title but if you look back to his matches in wcw and compared to wwe where he was kind of more just a brawler but he was so over with the crowd a lot of people would say that he his moveset was limited later on but by then he had had you know he was rocking the two knee braces he had uh you know been dropped on his head multiple times including that that vicious one that you know, almost ended his career way early with Owen Hart. So if that would be one thing that you can maybe kind of hold against Stone Cold, but, you know, that's the great thing about these greatest of all time lists and like these Mount Rushmores, like like you mentioned before. Everybody's is different, and none of them are really wrong. Uh, I did have one, one gentleman tell me I was doing a panel at a Comic-Con, and we were talking about our Mount Rushmores, and... <laughs> The, it's the infamous story where I uh, said Hulk Hogan, and there was an African American gentleman in the front row that just said, "Nope." So, anytime my wife is in the room with me and the name Hulk Hogan comes up, she will yell, "Nope," <laughs> because she was there for that, and it was a moment in time that I will never forget. And I know that if I am um, in public with uh, other people, and I am not allowed to put Hulk Hogan on my Mount Rushmore. 
so I think I, I don't remember who I replaced him with, but uh, on that day, Hulk Hogan was not on the Dan Rhino Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling. He's still on mine, damn it. Uh, did you see that apparently uh, Hulk Hogan is banned from all AEW events? <laughs> and so is his wife, Linda, now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Social media, for some people, just sh- should be blocked. Some people should just not be allowed to get on social media and say things because it is the proverbial the proverbial foot going straight into your mouth. And apparently... Linda Hogan had some things to say about the social unrest that is going on in the world right now. And uh, and she's not even together with Hulk, right? No, but apparently they should be because they think yeah. they have the same ideals still. So Maybe they'll maybe that marriage will be rekindled because they realize that they have <laughs> common ideals. Uh, that I mean, what a better thing to bring couples together like racism and ex- hate. Exactly. It, it's kind of that uh, Pina Colada song. Where the uh, they're you know if you like pina coladas and it's about the 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 man and the woman both being tired of their relationship so they put these personal ads out about you know and they're they're planning on cheating on each other and it turns out that when they meet up with the person that they thought that they're really going to connect with it was their already their current significant other they just didn't know Doug they didn't know that they had all just... these things in common. Just like in real life. Exactly. <laughs> and we want to thank everybody for downloading, listening, and subscribing this show in real life. I want to thank Doug E. Wrestling for joining me once again. We Doug, did it. Doug, what's going on uh, with STF Underground and with ProWrestling.com lately? What you up to, my man? Well, every single Wednesday, you can catch me doing the live coverage for All Elite Wrestling on ProWrestling.com. Uh, do a bunch of pay-per-views, live coverage, contributor there, yada, yada, yada. Also, STF Underground drops every single Friday on ProWrestling.com. And, you know, wherever else you can find your podcast, of course, it's myself, Fox and Ryan, and Mr. Main Event himself. Yes, Mr. Main Event. And, um, yeah, lots of fun. Um, you know, similar uh, to what you guys do here, except... A lot Less. better, yeah, yeah. We know, yeah. I we know. Think of a nice way to we say know. That. I always, I, I <laughs> hey, uh, if if you listen to this show, uh, we plug your show all the time because it is, like you said, it's just like this one, but good. So, <laughs> less Natalia. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get shirts made that uh, Rhino Wrestling Review, just like STF Underground, just not as good, but with less Natalia. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so thanks, Doug. You can follow him on Twitter at Dougie Wrestling. Uh, you are at the show is at STF Underground on Twitter, and you said you're on uh, Instagram as well. Instagram at STF Underground, Facebook STF Underground podcast. It's a good time. Follow and us. I, We're posting a lot more, man. I found out the other day that the kids are calling it Insta now because they're oh, I thought it was the gram when appara- did that stop? apparently it's not the gram anymore apparently it's insta and apparently the uh, the kids are very pressed for time uh, they're so busy that they can't say the uh, full name of Instagram and that makes as an old man who's about to uh, turn 40 in a couple weeks that makes me angry so they can all get off my lawn I mean I guess TikTok is the new thing now, right? That's what they, that's what the kids talk about. 
Uh, when are you going to be uh, putting out your latest dance video on TikTok? The people want to know. Uh, every single Friday, the same time as STF Underground. We actually have an account, believe it or not, uh, on TikTok. We just haven't done anything with it. I want to see some STF Underground dance videos. I want to see you, Fox, and Mr. Main Event in uh, three boxes on my screen, all doing choreographed uh, dance moves. I think that would bring a lot of positivity to the world, and that's what we need right now. What the world no. needs now is not love. It's STF Underground TikTok videos. And the power of positivity. Thanks, everybody, for downloading, listening, and subscribing. We will see you next week. Don't kick out of each other's finishers. See ya. Hey, it's the R to the Y. N to the O. On the block like a tortoise with a slow. On the block like a baker because I'm picking up my dough. And when I'm in the booth, like I'm cooking up a O.